As women born and raised in Madurai, we were told that our virginity took precedence over all other aspects of our lives, that an adult consensual relationship not authorized by the elders of the community would bring disgrace upon the women's entire family because a good girl, she doesn't even talk to boys. At school, we were taught that women who fail to cover the entirety of their body with yards and yards of clothing, loose clothing, have no shame. That our bodies were something to be ashamed of and that every inch needs to remain hidden. Your female teachers would pass inappropriate comments and make sure you felt like a slut for wearing comfortable clothing, clothes that covered every bit of your body. Women with huge breasts were shamed when their dupattas, a piece of clothing meant to cover your chest, didn't adequately cover your chest because no one can know that a healthy female anatomy includes a prominent bust. Summer vacations with grandparents were spent learning how to be a good wife. A good wife is a woman who is submissive, apologetic, a good wife cooks, cleans, bears children, a good wife listens and listens to her husband, listens to her husband at bed, does what she's asked to do. A good wife worries all her desires and ultimately sacrifices all of what makes her her for the sake of society because that's what makes her a good woman. Everything else comes first. Hello to the ones who are listening. This is Shweta Meenu and you are listening to the Audacity Project. I'm going to quickly start by talking about the title and explaining why me and my team chose to call this the Audacity Project. When we all sat down and started bouncing ideas off of each other as to what we should call it, we all agreed on one common thing, the unjust treatment because of the system. The few of us who do have the courage to call injustice out, we've all been shot down on one common ground, the audacity, the disrespect, the fearlessness. But these attributes are actually what makes one a revolutionary. But why have they been given a negative connotation? You're either arrogant or you're a bitch or you're an eccentric person because you don't take no for an answer because you want to call injustice out. And have you also realized that most men do not have to assume the same label for doing the exact same things that were shot down for? And that is exactly when it struck us. So we decided, how about we have each other's backs and encourage everyone to be audacious, to be bold, to claim our rights and just live a respected life. And then we decided we'll call this the Audacity Project. So in this feminist podcast, we'll discuss politics. We'll discuss the politics of women, genderqueer, non-binary, our rights, our social political status and participation, the injustice surrounding them, and why this problem is extremely difficult to solve, and how years and years of trying has only been met with further resistance. And hopefully, we'll do all of this without offending the men's rights matter to clan, because hey, come on, just look at the political participation of women and genderqueer people, and compare it with the rest of the population. Go ahead, you'll see the lack of representation, adequate representation. This means voices of more than half the population are being muted. And the few voices that are being heard, they pay a very high price just to be heard, like Mary Bird discusses in her book, in Women in Power. Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, a fucking bitch, a fucking bitch. The lives that you and I live today are still being affected by remnants of years and years of systemic oppression that has transcended time, logic, culture, and reason. 
were shunned away from public spaces, our political participation has not had its strong supported beginning yet. And I say supported beginning because in India, the female politicians are always issued rape and murder threats, both online and offline. And some of us are murdered outside our homes for having an opinion that does not align with that of the national ruling party. That posed a threat to Hinduism. Exclaiming men's rights matter too, or not all men, trivializes this injustice done to us. Just be our allies, be empathetic, and fight this fight with us. Because at this point, you're gonna have to understand that this is not a battle of the sexes. This movement is the epitome of inclusivity. So how about we understand that this movement is humanity versus patriarchy, it is not man-hating, and if you still think this is a fight between the men and the women, or if feminism inherently offends you, over scares you, then that's when you know you are a part of the problem too. Having said that, without further ado, let's get started. In today's episode, I will introduce you to this idea of wicked problems in the context of patriarchy and its attributes. It is going to be challenging, it will be a tough listen, but stay with me till the end and this might be one of the most cathartic lessons of your lives. Let's dive right in. So I'm going to start by describing what a wicked problem is. A wicked problem is one that is impossible to solve because of the interplay of several factors that are social, political, cultural, historical, and the list goes on. But we found a framework to break down wicked problem for you. And I'm also going to flesh out the attributes of wicked problem with the characteristics of patriarchy to make you see how and why patriarchy is a wicked problem. Attribute number one, wicked problems don't have a definite formulation. Now in the context of patriarchy, let's look at crimes against women. So every second of every day, tens and thousands of women around the world are being harassed, violated and abused. But do you think that there is one formula to address all crimes against women? Because you would think some are a lapse of judgment and some are because the violator has a history of family abuse and maybe he just needs some help. And some are because the violator has a history of mental illness, so he needs medical care. Some because the violator comes from a violent neighborhood, so hey, he needs to be rehabilitated. But let me tell you the truth, the violator had a bruised ego. The violator wanted to teach the survivor a lesson. The violator wanted her to be sorry. The violator was under the influence of drugs and thought she asked for it. The violator is a toxic patriarch who wants to ensure that all women in this world are as disciplined, correction, or is as oppressed as all women in his family. How would you address this? There's clearly not an A plus B, therefore C formula. It is complicated. It leaves one wondering where to begin. You need to blame the entire system. If you do want more clarity on how complex and inexplicable this problem is, read the book, What We Talk About When We Talk About Rape by Sohali Abdulali. Attribute number two, there is no stopping rule. That is, we don't know where this ends or when this stops. For example, the consequences of patriarchy. Does it stop at your homes where girls are raised visibly different from boys? Does it stop at the streets where your cat called? Does it stop at your workplace where women are not paid as much as your male counterparts? Where your maternity might cost you your promotion or possibly your job? Or where you're asked for sexual favors to get ahead? 
or with non-conformists being denied jobs for that very reason? Or does it stop with our intelligence being undermined when we're speaking in a room filled with men who shush us and talk over us? Does it stop at a marriage where unequal and unfair things are being demanded of a woman? Does it stop with your legal systems not permitting homosexual marriages to happen? Or does it stop with your legal institutions criminalizing homosexuality? Does it stop at childbirth where women are being forced to stay at home and nurse your children because, hey, culture does not hand the same choice to her husband? And because childcare, they don't come naturally to men. Does it stop with your sweet little boy being humiliated at school because the other boys expect him to be violent and manly when he's an advocate of all things nice? Does it stop with your girl being slut-shamed for having friends who are boys? Does it stop with visits from anxiety your old friend when you or your friends or your children are out at a late-night party? Or does it stop with your daughter being forced to take the blame when her bodily autonomy is violated without her consent? For no fault of her own, where does it stop? If you put your diamond on the street, certainly the dog will take it out. You can't stop. Attribute number three. The solutions aren't one or. They aren't binary, but they're qualitative. For example, patriarchy is a reason for crimes against women. Come on, we all know it by now. But how do we stop these crimes? Simple laws. Good laws are deterrence, but are they? Let's take a quick look at a small list of laws. Section 354A, IPC, punishes sexual harassment. Section 354C punishes voyeurism or an act by which a male captures or watches a woman when she's engaging in a private act that she believes she's doing in a private space. Section 354D punishes stalking. Section 372 punishes selling little girls for the purpose of prostitution. Section 376 punishes rape. Section 376AB punishes rape committed on a girl under 12 years of age. Section 376D punishes gang rape. And the list goes on. But has this solved anything? In just the previous year, we all know of a number of crimes committed against women where their bodies were violated in ways and means that one cannot imagine and where they were burnt inhumanely after the act. In 2018, there were over 33,000 rape cases registered in the country, where over 31,000 of these were committed by someone known to the women. And that's 90% of it. That's over 90% of it. And these are simply the registered cases. Let's not even get started about those rapes that don't get registered because of the prevalent shame culture in our country. 300 acid attacks are being reported each year. Let that number sink in. And again, this is just the official number. In the past decade, there were several instances of corrective rapes, or homophobic rapes as one must call it, where families permitted rapes to be committed on their children to cure homosexuality, as if it was some kind of a sickness that had to be cured. There are no official statistics discussing how they violated. They are humiliated as they come forward to register a complaint. You want to understand how humiliation feels? Watch the movie Super Deluxe, directed by Tyagaraja Kumararaja. It is very clear now that the solution, or in this specific case, the laws, haven't helped much in curbing instances of violence effectively. Attribute number four. We cannot immediately test or measure the impact of solutions. 
because they usually have unexpected consequences. Attribute number five, there is no trial and error when we're trying to solve them. More often, a wrong step forward will take us back by a hundred steps. Attribute number six, no amount of experience is enough to address it. For example, let's look at the MeToo movement. What thousands of survivors came forward to share their stories. It was met with resistance by some men who wanted to invalidate these stories, these lived experiences. They claimed that the survivor's personal experience was not true and that these allegations were only results of shared personal vendettas. I've been a famous person for a long time, but I've had a lot of false charges made against me, really false charges. But most survivors had no evidence to back their allegations, only memories and lived experiences. Going to the court is not a solution because the due process of law expects the court to respect legal rights of both the parties before arriving at a verdict. The legal presumption is that one is innocent until proven guilty. This means, as a survivor, you would be put on the spot and be fired with questions that would break you, that would question your character, your previous encounter with the man to assess if you made him believe he had a chance, if you had romantic relations with this man or any other man, be asked questions that have no relation to the case at hand. You would be fired with these questions until you break and give up and walk out. This would be a scenario where evidence is filed on record. In the absence of evidence, the due process would destroy you and deny you justice. If you want to understand the gravitas of this, then watch the movie Pink by Anuruddha Roy Chaudhary. But without due process, the argument is that there are chances that an innocent man would be indicted and charged with a crime that he probably start, didn't commit. You, do it. you can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the pussy. To avoid this whole conundrum, several platforms encouraged naming and shaming. That did help a few survivors heal, but it also became a reason to invalidate the entire moment. Because several men confessed that they were scared that some girl somewhere might name and shame them to avenge a personal encounter. The movement soon after this became a buzzword to humiliate and harass women. Most men came forward to learn what would be the best way to conduct themselves while they were with or around women. But most men just put up a scared exterior and joked. Joked about how you never know what is the right way to be around a woman. A few corporates even refrained from hiring women for a certain period of time. Now that's unfair because if you respected someone's bodily autonomy and did nothing against her consent or their consent, no one has a reason to raise false allegations against you. When the Chief Justice sat on the bench on the 20th Saturday, April 2019, yeah. there was a grave violation of the rule of law. Grave Trust violation. me, no woman, nobody wants to go through the trauma and the humiliation that would accompany speaking up against a sexual crime. But to some, this statement might be an overgeneralization. So how do you address this problem? Attribute number seven, it is a symptom of another problem. For example, heteronormativity is a symptom or attribute of a patriarchal society. Heteronormativity is the assumption that gender binary is the only normal or attraction to a person of the opposite sex is the only normal. That culturally defined gender roles are the only normal. That violent men and polite women are the only normal. 
Therefore, this excludes over 50 other genders and 11 other sexualities and their freedom of self-expression. Attribute number eight. It has many stakeholders and the problem affects each of us distinctly. Before I illustrate how patriarchy affects us all, let's take a quick look at the layers of abuse and oppression that exists in India. An upper-class, upper-caste Hindu is treated better than an upper-class, upper-caste Muslim, Sikh, Christian, in other words, a minority, who is still treated better than an upper-class, lower-caste Hindu, who is still treated much better than an upper-class, lower-caste minority. Class here refers to your economic position. Now, as you move down the economic spectrum, you'll see that a lower-class, upper-caste Hindu is treated better than a lower-class, upper-caste minority, who's still treated much better than a lower-class, lower-caste Hindu, still treated much better than a lower-class, lower-caste minority. Now, add gender to this pyramid. Let's make things more interesting. To add that element of misogyny to this pyramid, how about you go ahead and add the color of your skin to the pyramid to see how each of us are oppressed in different ways in our country. Come on, don't pretend for a second that we don't differentiate people on the basis of color in India. So there you go, your pyramid of oppression is complete. There's this other perspective about individual oppression that I learned by watching this show called The Dietland on Prime. It addresses body image issues that women face on an everyday basis and does a brilliant job at that. In that show, they raise this interesting question of who is a more oppressed woman? Is it a woman in a bikini or is it a woman who's forced to be fully clothed? And that teaches you that you can never look at things in a binary. Brilliant show, go ahead and watch it if you haven't already. So to put things into perspective in terms of individualistic oppression, every fight is different. Some fight for equal pay. Some fight for basic bread and butter. To some, getting through a day without abuse is a struggle. Which one would you focus on first? Should some fights be prioritized over others? So do you now think that systemic oppression of gender with all its consequences is a wicked problem? Well, it should be, right? Because the solution isn't simple. The solution could be feminist thought, feminist feelings, feminist attitude, and feminist language. The solution could be a feminist upbringing, feminist education, feminist workplaces, feminist opportunities, feminist laws and feminist judgments, a feminist life. All right, so that's a wrap. Feel free to disagree, but while you're at it, understand that there is no misandry and there's no hatred for men here. Feminism, it's equality, and it is the ultimate solution. It does not have to carry all the negative baggage. We'll explore a little more on what it could mean for each of us in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Keep questioning culture, keep breaking patterns, be audacious, and be kind. Further reading materials and references to authors and books made in this episode will be linked to in our website. Please don't forget to check out www.theaudacityproject.net.